Hey, it's Beth here, episode 501. You know how um, I always talk about staying sane? Um, I do it because it's really hard. Today, November 27th, eight years ago, um, our oldest son, Brett, died. And it's Thanksgiving, and usually I get upset on Black Friday because it was that particular year the exact day after Thanksgiving. It doesn't always end up like that, and this year it's not. It's today, it's Monday. And every single year I try to outsmart this complete devastation. And I'm not the kind of person who gets all excited about annual events at all. Birthdays, anniversaries. But this one, this one just does do it. And the weather is just like the weather that it was on that day. And, you know, you can't sleep because you start waking up and thinking about things you could have done better or you just want every day back. You just want to do every day over and you just want to do every day better. That's what it feels like. You just want it all back. So, that's what I'm up against. And... You know, he never did his homework. He was such a wonderful baby. And he came to us not in the usual way. I had infertility problems, four surgeries, my second minor surgery. The doctor flicked the fallopian tube to get it in the right place. And then he couldn't flick it. And so I had to have the major surgery. Six weeks later, when I was having the major surgery, at that place, a six inch cyst developed and it took out everything. I was devastated. I wanted to die, but I didn't because Kit was such a great guy, a good husband, he didn't deserve it. So that doctor actually helped us and found us bread. And he was always a miracle to me. I mean, we didn't even expect him. He, the hospital gave him to us in a cardboard box and he stayed in the cardboard box till we got a crib. It was like he came like a miracle from heaven. And I always felt that way about him. He was such a sweet guy. And he just wanted to blend and he just wanted everything to be okay. And he had beautiful red hair, just beautiful. And women would follow me in malls trying to get a clipping for their hairdresser. And he had a soft palate. I didn't know that at the time. So he gained weight, got freckles, and he had trouble blending, and he just wanted life to be easy. And he had learning disabilities. He just, life just piled up on him. When he was my little baby and we were alone, everything was great. Preschool was great. It was really middle school. And I know that's true for a lot of kids. And he just wouldn't do his homework. And I just want all those days back. I just want to not care. I just want to tell the teachers to bug off. I just want him back. I just, I just don't want to have one moment where we had a crossword or anything. And I just left him to distraction and so did Kit and so did his brother, but life was hard for him. You know, college was a bust and things like that. And um, then in his mid-twenties when he was really kind of pulling it all together, 
he came down with testicular cancer. And it was really advanced by the time he told anybody about it. So they gave him like platinum and chemo and the doctor said if he gave us anything like that, we would have died in two days. He soldiered through, he did it. We got to the fifth year afterwards, the PET scans, which are so scary, and it was clear everything was great. And then he had a stroke. And it just, I just can't believe he's gone. So this time is always hard. Every day is always hard. Mother's Day is hard. Every day is hard, but this time is really, really hard. And I tried to, I got to yesterday before I crashed, which is the longest I've ever gotten. And I was having all the bad thoughts, but I did have this, I have this, a lot of wonderful memories. Christmases were always great. Vacations were always great. Summers were always great. There was no school. But we did have this one vacation where when Kit and Matt, and when Brett and Matt were graduating from high school, Kit would ask him, where do you want to go anywhere in the world? And it was such a shock because Brett said, I want to see the pyramids. We thought for sure he wanted to go to Las Vegas and see the showgirls. We were like, whoa. And luckily we had the money. And so we took him and we went down a barge and had the best time. And on our little trip, there were maybe four families. One of the little family, in quotes, was these two divorced girls from New York, Long Island. And they were about 34. And they took Brett under their wing. And I really didn't get all that they were about. Because Kit and I would go to sleep and Matt, the younger son, told us that they would buy him drinks. He was 18. Um, and la they laughed at the part, thought that was fine. Then there was this day where we go into Petra and we're going to Nefertari's tomb, which was amazing. It was, the friezes on the wall were actually three-dimensional because they painted the walls. So in Nefertari's tomb, the sky is this dark, beautiful blue and there are stars. And on the walls, there's dimension because of the colors they use for the background, the middle, and the front. I didn't know that. I was enthralled. And on the way back, we went through the town of Petra. And Brett is, of course, with the, you know, divorcees. Kit and I are on this, this donkey cart. We go through this town, and it's like out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's unbelievable. There's no refrigeration. There's cow entrails on tables. There, there are kiosks filled with shoppers and men, you know, calling out for you to buy this and that. I was so amazed. I, I made the, the guy take us a second time. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. So by the time we got back to the barge, we were late and Brett and the girls were not there. I was like, oh my God. And he was protecting them from all kinds of things, this old trip. I was like, oh my God. And so Sammy, our guy goes, don't worry, I'll go find them. And he goes down the stairs towards the city and he stands there and all of a sudden we see this huge crowd coming towards us. I mean, you didn't know if they had axes and they were mad or they were happy. It was screaming and chanting. 
and they were chanting Rambo, Rambo, Rambo. And Brett and the two girls were in the center of this group. They cheer and clap, Rambo, Rambo, as the girls and he get on our little barge. He comes upstairs and Sammy said, what happened? And Sammy had talked to a guy, tell me what happened. They tell me there was a betting. And Brett goes, we were in the middle of the town and all the guys come up to me and they're saying Rambo, Rambo. And they've got this little table and this, the biggest guy in their town comes out. Boom, 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 boom. Puts his arm on the table. And a guy who spoke a little English said, arm wrestling. And Brett said, arm wrestling. And he said, yes, now. And so Brett put his arm on the table and the guy had his arm on the table and the girls were like, do it, Brett, do it, do it. So all this money starts flying around and Brett and this guy start arm wrestling. Brett hears the table going creak, 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 creak. And he lets up because he doesn't want to break the table. Well, the guy, the other guy takes advantage of it, practically gets his arm down. So the girls go, Brett, please. So Brett takes his arm and he flings it the other way, wins, the guy's arm is on the table and it breaks the table. So the arm goes crashing on the table and the table crashes and breaks into a million pieces. And that's when all the chanting and the screaming happened. And they were throwing jewelry at the girls as they were coming on board. And I just thought, I didn't realize how great that was. And he was kind of shy because he was always shy. And the girls were loving him and they were leaning on him. And that's not what happened when he was in school. He was not the guy that the girls did that with. And then last night I was thinking, I didn't even put two and two together. And I was kind of mad because I thought, Matt told me that one of the girls was a little closer to Brett and she was 34 and he was 18 and I was, I was upset about this. And in retrospect, I, I don't know what to think, but they, they, the last night of the trip, I was sure that something was going on because they dressed him like King Tut and they put makeup on him and he was dressed so beautifully. It was like they fawned over him. He was never that guy that got the girl's attention, that got all the love. They were so proud of him. They propped him up. He was the center of the party. He danced. He did everything. It's like they brought out because he felt so secure with them, some silliness. And he was doing like the Steve Martin King Tut dance and he was so happy. And I just looked back on that memory that I was kind of conflicted about. And last night I just, it was like the first break in my, um, you know, huge funk crash. And I thought on that trip, he had everything, he had everything. He was so happy. The smiles, it was like, we took him away. It was the trip of his lifetime. It's the trip he wanted. There were two girls there that fawned over him and loved him and laughed at all his jokes. And I just, now it's like not even a conflicted memory. It's just a happy memory. I'm just so happy. He had a moment in the sun where he was the guy. He was the only guy. He was the center. 
for one second in his life. And the, the unselfconscious guy that came out on that trip that could do those silly dances and not, because he was kind of overweight too. Not so much at this particular time, but he thought he was. He thought he was. And just that he would get in front of people and dance. Just forget about everything and let himself go. That he had that. I'm sure there were millions of other times when he was with his friends that he had a good time. I just hope he did. I just hope they were great. And of course he wouldn't tell me about them because they were probably drinking or something. But I got to see one. I got to be up front, center, and see one. And I didn't even realize till last night that it was a good thing, that it was a great thing. And I mean, that's, when you lose somebody, you just want them to have had every moment of happiness and life and love that they could have possibly had. And that conflicted memory, now I'm grateful to those girls. I am, I don't want to call them or anything like that, but it wasn't exactly a perfect scenario. It wasn't Andy Hardy, you know, or anything like that. It wasn't Nick Funicello and Paul Anka. It was complicated, but it wasn't complicated in his mind. It was perfect. And I can see that now. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, it's just such a relief to think he was happy. Because he had a lot of times. It, life crushed him. It, he was unlucky. So he had a, uh, a very bad blood pressure. And always problem, no matter what. And when he was working at Apple, they were just testing everybody and his came back bad and he had to go to the hospital. He was so embarrassed and so furious because he felt fine and they were going to check him out for a couple days at the hospital. He called me up. I got running over. I meet him in the parking lot on his way into the hospital and he was like fit to be tied. So we're walking in and he goes, you know what? You know what, mom? I'm thinking about, uh, finding my birth mother. I'm like, oh man, I've been ready for this my whole life. I've got the answers. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be cool. Though it's hard, I'm going to be cool. And I said, okay, Brad, that's fine. Um, why? And he goes, I want to, I want to find my, my birth mother. I want to hunt her down and I want to kill her. The genetics she's given me, I cannot cope with this. It's all too much. It's just like, I fell on the ground laughing hysterically and he fell down on the ground laughing hysterically. People thought we were crazy in the parking lot, but it relieved so much tension. It was such a silly thing to say and such a silly thing to think. And we never did find his birth mother. And believe me, when you're in this position, I mean, back in the day, that's how it was. It was all, you know, 45 years ago, it was different than it is now. And I love just having him to myself. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. He didn't really ever want to do that. That was just a moment. But I was ready in case it came up. But the fact that he twisted it up like that and said what he said, and I swear we laughed on that little bit of grass for 10 minutes. We couldn't stop because there was so much tension and so much upset. 
and so many times his, his blood pressure was a problem and blood pressure make medicine made him tired and, and dumb and he hated it all these things were coming back up and he said that and he would do that he could relieve tension with that he had an Eeyore sense of humor and he was so funny and so sweet and there's nobody like him and he always made me feel good no matter what I did wrong it's just he had no expectations of me I can't tell you how liberating that is I just had to be there he was the, he was so nice Matt's nice too they're both they were so nice to me so I just miss him and I love him and I want him back and I can't get him back so that's why I strive for sanity it's hard and I know if you know someone who's lost a child, it is really, really hard. Losing a spouse is really hard. Losing anybody you loved is really hard. And it just doesn't get better. My grief counselor said, the grief doesn't get smaller. The pain doesn't get smaller. You get stronger. And I think that's true, but you can't be strong all the time. And when you're not, it is like this avalanche that just takes you out. And I know it's not gotten easier. It hasn't gotten smaller. The avalanche is just as big as it ever was. And it's going to stay the same size. So if you know somebody who has lost someone and you're like, whoa, can they ever snap out of it? They can't. They just can't. And you're, you're lucky you don't know how they feel. So that's why sanity's hard. You know, being in this special, horrible, terrible group of people that have lost a child, it's just horrible. It's a horrible world. It's a scary world. People are kind of frightened of you. It, it does seem contagious. And before it happened to me, I thought it was contagious in a way. It's just a scary horrible, horrible thought. You don't want to think it. You don't want to know someone that it happened to. And I get that. But the older we get, it's just inevitable. It's just getting worse. So I just wanted to uh, tell you that's why I talk about sanity. That's why I strive for it. That's why I keep trying to stay sane. Because it's not easy. So I just wanted to finally... Uh, talk about him and have you see a picture of him he's the redhead he's the, he's the one pointing at the pyramids he's my bread <laughs>